Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. Blackwater rabbit. Expect fun and joy everywhere you go because rabbits are fun and joyful beings. That's just what rabbits are. And I say this because I know I am year of the rabbit. And so I am telling you from personal experience, that is what a rabbit is. Rabbits are fun and joyful and playful. Have you seen a bunny? Have you seen how cute and fun bunnies are? I don't know how you guys spent your New Year's Eve, but I spent it by dropping my iPad in the bathtub. Yeah. Was the bathtub full of water? Yes. I mean, <laughs> it was just full of water. Uh, is it risky to be watching TV shows on your iPad that is just on the bathtub ledge, just very precariously balancing there on the cliff? of a bathtub is that risky behavior yes absolutely it is but have i been doing it for years and years yeah i have have i dropped my ipad in the bathtub before yes i have this is the second time that i have dropped this particular ipad in the bathtub and yeah it's it's not worth the sound is all fucked up yeah so um Either I need to get a new iPad or I need to get this one fixed. Either way, it's going to be costing me a few bucks. Why? Because I did not choose to compartmentalize and separate my spa time from my TV viewing time. I decided that those two times can be together. They can happen at the same time. And here's the thing, it does not need to happen at the same time, okay? If I'm taking a bath, I could just focus on taking a bath. If I'm watching a TV show, I could just be focusing on watching a TV show. But why? Why does this happen? It happens because television is so easy to be tuned into while multitasking with other things we do it all the time all of us watch tv or we watch a video while we eat while we cook while, while we clean at least i do at least i do i'm like i clean my house while i leave the tv on why wouldn't i clean my body while watching the tv why wouldn't i be doing that you know anyway it sucks that was my new year's eve but hey overall 2022 it has been a pretty good year I will say that it wasn't always easy. I mean, especially the beginning of 2022. Oh my gosh. I'm sure you've seen me and heard me on this very podcast. Just telling you how how things are just, um, you know, flavorless, lackluster. Overall, just kind of bumming me out. Yeah. I remember posting a few Instagram stories where I would just make lists of things to do instead of killing myself yeah that that was going on for a couple of months in there that was fun 
actually. That was like a fun creative project. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I would ever want to get back to that kind of darkness, but you know, if and when darkness does arrive, I know that my inner clown will never let me down. That I know for sure. And to you listeners, I'm very grateful for giving me another wonderful year of your companionship and your support. Thank you. You guys are the best. And here's an invitation. I am rewriting my book, which will be coming out in year 2024 from Running Press. I would like to ask you listeners to send me an email. You could send that email at kdramaschool at gmail.com and just ask me questions. Like if there is a particular theme or a show that you want to know more about, like in more detail, okay? Or if there's a, a question around a certain show or uh, some aspect of Korean culture that's been intriguing to you that you wanted to ask this question but couldn't ask for whatever reason, okay? You can ask that to me. Feel, feel safe and feel free to ask me these questions and I will see what I can do to answer that through the book. This is an open invitation, okay? An open call, all right? You guys can ask me whatever is going on there in your little minds and hearts and just hit me with it, okay? Send that email to kdramaschool at gmail.com. I will take a look at it and I will submit my answer via book. You guys, I actually had another Korean drama that I was gonna cover for this particular episode and it had another guest and everything, but I started watching The Glory on Netflix and I was like, well, yeah, this is gonna be the one. This is gonna be the one that opens up into year 2023, okay? Because that show dropped on Netflix on December 30th and I was done watching that show in a matter of two days, okay? So let's get into it. Let's get into the glory of the glory, okay? The Glory is a K-drama written by hitmaker Kim Eun-suk, and it stars pan-Asian Hallyu star Song Hye-kyo. Yeah, what a pairing. This is not their first collaboration, okay? They collaborated on Descendants of the Sun, where Song Hye-kyo was co-starring with her ex-husband, Song Joong-gi. Yes, they met on that show, they fell in love, started dating, and then got married, and then two years later, sadly, they got a divorce. But isn't it interesting how timing works, right? Because just last week, we finished watching Reborn Rich, and we just covered it, and here we are. Here we are covering a show starring his ex-wife. How fascinating. Did the K-drama industry do this on purpose, or is this just some warped cosmic timing? I don't know. That's not my business. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just noting a pattern, okay? I'm just noting a coincidence. That is all. Another fun fact. Listen, Kim Eun-suk, she collaborated with a lot of Song Hye-kyo's ex-lovers, okay? She made that show Mr. Sunshine, which stars Lee Byung-hun. Yes, Lee Byung-hun and Song Hye-kyo dated many, many years ago. And she also wrote Secret Garden, which stars Hyun-bin. Yeah, Hyunbin and Song Hye-kyo, they were an item. Yes, yes they were. They starred in that show, uh, Worlds Within, together. 
where they were both playing uh, K-drama directors and then they fell in love, dated for a couple years and then called it off. Man oh man, Sungikyo. I again, I I've, I've said this before, but I am just really impressed by her track record. Yeah. I mean, Lord have mercy. In any case, The Glory. Yeah, this was made exclusively for streaming on Netflix, okay? So Kim Eun-suk took some major liberties here. It is very different from what Kim Eun-suk typically does because Kim Eun-suk has been writing for Korean television, okay? She's been writing for broadcasting specifically all up until now. Yeah, and she did a couple cable TV shows, but for the most part broadcasting, okay? So she kept it sanitized, kept it clean. But for the glory, oh my God, all of that goes out the window. Yes, all of it goes out the window. We see a lot of smoking. We see a lot of sex. We see a lot of cursing. We see a lot of knives. <laughs> okay like as as we know this is like that weird thing with korean broadcasting they'll they'll, they'll blur out knives <laughs> okay especially if it's going to be used to enact violence if it's just for cooking then it's fine but if it's in the context of violence then they always blur it out yeah but this no we saw a whole row of knives that that the uh, doctor character has yes so weird that character is so weird Another thing that I noticed with The Glory is its obsession for brand name products, right? Like, remember the scene when uh, Dong Eun is talking to her factory co-worker and saying like, oh, I'm going to be leaving the factory because I'm going to go to college and I'm going to go get a job. And then this factory co-worker is like, oh, are you going to work for Samsung, Hyundai? Like, she names all the brands. And... We don't really see that so much in a K-drama, not unless that brand is a specific sponsor to that show, okay? So unless they're an official sponsor, they never mention brands. For this show, I don't exactly know if Fendi is an official sponsor, but good God does Fendi make an appearance a lot on this show. It's practically an advertisement for Fendi. I'm like... Fendi's not even that great of a product. Like, I think their clothes and I think their they're, they're aesthetic's very tacky. I mean, that's my personal taste. But man, oh man, do the characters love wearing Fendi on The Glory. The Glory is also a really fascinating exploration of PTSD. Okay, so Dong Eun is very clearly suffering from PTSD. We can tell because... Well, she has a past where she suffered extreme trauma through excessive uh, physical abuse. And then as an adult, she has these moments of extreme panic where she's triggered by sounds of searing flesh like she does when she's listening to the pork belly. She starts freaking out and she's on the floor crawling around and sweating and having this nervous breakdown. I mean, that's a trigger, right? And it's a flashback. That's very, that's a common symptom among PTSD victims. And we also see her showing PTSD behavior when she is putting her hand very close to a boiling kettle. And that's a form of being trapped in this cycle where traumatic 
abuse feels familiar and therefore comforting to a PTSD survivor. This I can attest as a CPTSD survivor myself and also due to the light reading that I've done around CPTSD. I read a few case studies on bullying in South Korea in order to cover this show. So I was reading articles published between 2011 and 2021, and all of them across the board state that compared to the high number of cases of bullying that exist in South Korean schools, there are very little to no acts of social intervention from teachers. That is a major problem in South Korea. And I noticed that in Kim Eun-suk's work, she sort of regularly depicts a corrupt teacher in a classroom. Yeah. So we see this in The Goblin, right? Because we have Ji Eun-tak, who is this orphan girl, you know, from a poor background. And she has bullies in class, but her teacher totally neglects that bullying. Not only that, but the teacher is also abusive. I mean, she enacts emotional and mental um, abuse onto this high school student. And she very clearly shows favoritism for the wealthier kids, as opposed to Untak, who is not a wealthy student. And then in The Glory, we see Dongun's teacher, a male teacher, physically hitting her, right? physically assaulting her repeatedly in the face by slapping her repeatedly when she tells him that she wants to drop out of school because of bullying, right? And another teacher says to him like, oh, that's not going to look good when the director sees this, right? So the teacher is like trying to forcibly get her to uh, retract that statement and she stands up for herself and says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then of course the teacher uh, teams up with uh, one the bully's mother and goes and finds her negligent parent and has her sign away her daughter's dignity. In a study authored by Julie Ma, Yoon Sun Han, and Harin Kang, only in 2021 did South Korea outlaw corporal punishment as a legitimate form of parenting. Yeah, that is shocking. So only up until very recently... Okay, did South Korea officially declare physical punishment as an illegitimate form of parenting, which means that up until last year, beating a child as a parent was considered fair game. It was totally within the bounds of acceptable, normal part of society. That saddened me when I read that today. Physical punishment in a child's youth, of course, leaves them at high risk of aggressive behavior. It also leaves them at high risk of depression, anxiety, poor school performance, uh, social problems, and suicidal ideation. So physical abuse, I mean, time and time again, this has been shown so I don't know why this was only outlawed like a year ago, but that was the case, okay? So what that means, the reason why I bring that up is because if corporal punishment is acceptable within the household, then corporal punishment will also be acceptable to a parent if a teacher enacts that violence onto a child, okay? So 
I went to nursery school in South Korea and I remember having teachers who were physically abusive. So hitting us for getting math problems wrong or, you know, misbehaving in class was just considered acceptable and normal part of the school system. Regardless of what the law says and what culture says and what society says, I, as somebody who has survived that, I say that is not at all acceptable. Okay, like hitting a child as an authority figure is not okay, all right? That child will remember you. That child will harbor resentment, okay? So don't do it, all right? If you're a teacher, fucking don't be beating your kids, all right? If you're a parent, fucking don't be beating your kids. Neglect of a child who was physically abused is also a form of violence. In the glory, we see Dongun's mother completely turn her gaze the other way when she finds out that her daughter's been bullied excessively in school and that that is the reason why she is dropping out. I'd say that this implies that the mother herself was also abusive. If she wasn't physically and emotionally abusive, then she was abusive indirectly in the form of neglect. And neglect is absolutely a form of child abuse, especially when that child is in physical or mental or emotional danger. We see that Tongun lives alone in this tiny one room, and she's also living in squalor, like who's taking care of her. She has no guardian to look after her or protect her. And then Tongun eventually is left houseless when Tongun's mother stops paying rent to that tiny house. I read a study published in 2015 authored by Chihyun Lee in the Journal of Child Abuse and Neglect, and it claims that 30% of students in Gyeonggi-do in South Korea, including the city of Seoul, these children claim to have suffered emotional and physical abuse from their teachers. All right, that's 30% of students in that region alone. So this is not including the entire country of South Korea, it's just that one province. The implication is that children from a low-income background and children who are suffering from neglect from their parents or abuse from their parents are at higher risk to suffer that same abuse from teachers in schools or suffer bullying in schools. What I can say is that and this is, again, it's based on just personal experience. When a child suffers from abuse, they will have a shade of darkness around them, like a, like a shade of, like, they're harboring inner ugliness, okay? This warped sense of self-perception, let's put it that way. And it's like a vibe that they give off, a vibe of unworthiness. And people who give off that kind of vibe are just food that's just bait for a bully okay i mean that's that's a sign of weakness and as we see in nature i suppose okay like predatory beings will go after the weak and so it makes sense that a child who has suffered abuse at the hands of a parent or authority figures will also be suffering at the hands of their peers. The implication in the glory is that since Tongun is a neglected child from a low-income background with a single parent who is not a presence in her life, her teacher finds Tongun to be an easy target and her peers also find Tongun to be an easy target. When I was watching this show, I could not help but ask myself, why are these 
people bullying the shit out of Tongun. Why are they doing this? I mean, that question was just very, very prominent in my head. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I had an English teacher uh, who had us study the Holocaust and anti-Semitism in America through two works of media. One was this book called Chernowitz, written by Fran Arik, which explores anti-Semitism in a school. And she also had us watch the movie Schindler's List by Steven Spielberg, which explores the Holocaust, of course. And I remember asking my teacher, Miss Kaplan, I remember asking her, why did people kill and abuse Jewish people? Like, I, as a seventh grader, I remember raising my hand and asking her this question because I was like, I know we're learning about this. Like, I know we're learning about a, a re a real history. Like, I know that this is a thing. I know that anti-Semitism is a thing, just like slavery is a thing, just like anti-Asian hatred is a thing, just like misogyny is a thing, just like, you know, killing indigenous people is a thing. I know that it's a thing, but why? Like, why did Germany, okay, commit these war crimes? Like, why did this kid bully this Jewish kid just because he's Jewish like why why was this happening and my teacher looked at me and said that is a question that people have been asking forever and there is no answer I mean that was her response and again like to this day I just I don't know I don't know why I don't know why they did that it just doesn't make any sense to me in the case with Tongun, I can see very clearly what her motives are, right? I mean, this is a revenge porn series. Tongun is going to enact revenge on her abusers. It's very clear. We know what her motive is, but what is the motive for these bullies? Like, what's their problem? This doesn't get explored in depth at all, and I feel like that should happen. It should. It just gotta okay because otherwise i'm just like left in the dark i'm like what what the fuck is this like really and truly i don't know what the fuck this is okay and my hope is that season two of this show which is going to drop in march i hope that season two explores this we can't possibly say that these people are just evil plain and simple and that's it like people have a reason for doing certain things like people have a reason for letting out a certain kind of evil there's always a reason behind that and I need to know what the hell that is. I don't think I've ever seen Song Yikyo play such a such a dark role before. This is the darkest I've seen Song Yikyo ever. Ever. And I've been following her whole career since she was like in her late teens. So I've never seen her play this psychologically disturbed character before. It's refreshing. I'll say that. And it's funny. You know, like watching Song Yikyo smile and laugh at inappropriate times. It's like, it's wild. I'm like, whoa. This chick is good at playing a psycho. Like, where has this been? She's actually really good at it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She's really great. I think she is uh, handling depiction of PTSD in a really interesting and delicate way. The way that Tongun keeps returning to her bullies, right? The way she keeps returning to her enemies, even in the form of just like following them and tracking them down and all of this. It's like, 
it's a form of trauma bondedness, right? Like it's it's an exhibition of the fact that she has trauma bonded with these abusers, right? And the way that Dongun obsesses by revolving her entire life around Yeonjin, I mean, clearly, that's very clearly a form of trauma bonded behavior. Dongun's love interest, Yeojung, played by Yi Do-hyun, who is himself a PTSD survivor, it seems. I don't know for sure, but I mean, he clearly has some trauma. And we see him attending therapy sessions, right, to cope with his disturbance. Uh, because his father was murdered by a psychopath, okay? And he harbors resentment and he harbors a desire to enact revenge, but he keeps this really close to his chest. He doesn't tell any of this to Tongun, his love interest. This is really strange behavior. Yeah, this guy this guy creeps me out more than Tongun. I'll, I'll say that. He creeps me the fuck out. Tongun and Yeojung's relationship is somewhat mirroring a little bit of this Bonnie and Clyde kind of kind of duo kind of thing. Uh but it's very clear that Tongun is the leader in this relationship, right? I mean, she's really the the engine. While the show seems to explore PTSD in a dynamic and sympathetic way, it's a lot harsher in the way that it depicts drug addicts and drug abuse. And I find this to be the case in Korean dramas somewhat regularly, and it's deeply problematic. So we have actress Kim Hyora playing Yi Sara. Okay, so she is one of Tongun's bullies from her childhood and she grows up to become a painter and she's also a pastor's kid and she's also a drug addict but the drug addict and drug abuser in this show in the glory is framed in a rather pathetic light yeah there isn't a whole lot of sympathy for drug addicts not like the way that a PTSD survivor is depicted. You know, in, in my understanding, drug addiction is a form of illness, okay? It's a form of illness, so I don't know why there's no sympathy for drug addiction. I see this um, conflict in K-dramas repeatedly, okay? So when it comes to drug addiction and drug abuse, K-dramas are rather cruel, in the way that they depict their victims but when it comes to people with mental illness okay or when it comes to a theme of mental health awareness uh k-dramas in the last couple of years have been a lot more sympathetic to their characters so this is a weird bump in the road that requires a lot of smoothing over okay especially by the writers it's got to start with the writers. The writers really need to educate themselves and broaden their sociocultural awareness around mental illnesses a lot more and around drug addiction and just around drugs in general. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I think Korean dramas are really bad at handling uh, drugs in in shows this is this is definitely something i'll be exploring probably in my book anyway this series moved really fast for me i loved the fact that it was fast paced okay fast paced it's 40 minutes long right and eight episodes like that's doable i was able to binge that real fast it was super easy super quick 
easy for me to digest and i don't know why more k-dramas can't be this efficient you know like why do they have to be like an hour and a half long why can't they be just 40 minutes long that's a nice sweet runtime and the story was moving forward it was always moving forward that's what i liked about this show like it was constantly just plowing ahead there wasn't this like weird lingering over bullshit you know like it was just moving forward and that's that's real nice for me i haven't been able to binge a series this quickly in a long time so thank you kimonsuk for not disappointing the shit out of me like you did with you know the king eternal monarch yeah thank you for not repeating the king eternal monarch <laughs>